The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Okay, well, welcome back, everyone, to The Video Insiders. How are you doing, Dror? I'm doing great, Mark, and I think uh, this is uh, an excellent opportunity to thank all of our listeners because I just heard the latest statistics and we have reached no less than 1,000 downloads, right? It's incredible. The support is pouring in. And, you know, I, I want to uh, welcome anyone who's listening to send us a proposal. If you would like to come on the show, if you've got something interesting to say, if you're doing something interesting, we'd love to talk to you. So uh, don't be shy. Uh, you can email us at thevideoinsiders at beamer.com and we'll be happy to talk to you and see if we can get you on the show yeah and if you have a friend who you think would be a great candidate to be on the podcast then uh, don't be shy tell us about them and uh, we'll contact them and uh, and they'll be on the show on the show that's right. That's right. Well, let's jump right into uh, today's guest. I know we're going to have an awesome conversation. We are speaking with Nagesh Pupala, who is the media segment director of the Visual Cloud Group at Intel. Welcome, Nagesh. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity for this discussion. Yeah, well, maybe give the listeners a, a really quick overview of what you're focused on, and uh, then we'll we'll jump into our interview. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm uh, Nagesh Mupala, and I'm part of the Visual Cloud division within the Data Center Group at Intel. And my responsibility is primarily span across looking at the media processing opportunities and media processing workload in the data center. So it spans across the cloud service providers and cloud service providers across across the world. Awesome, awesome. Well. Drawer, we obviously get uh, you know very involved into the discussion of hardware versus software when we're looking at encoding workflows, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, because uh, well, I think um, a lot of uh, video uh, encoding is being done in hardware, in in uh, like in uh, boxes and closed systems, but recently. There's been a shift to software-based implementations and uh, and to the cloud. Um, at Beamer, we provide software solutions, and we partner a lot with uh, Intel, utilizing their latest uh, processors for doing video uh, encoding in um, in software. And um, w- what I'm seeing um, is is kind of a a pendulum swinging between software and hardware implementations. In the early days. It was very difficult to encode video, so you had to do it uh, in hardware using dedicated uh, ASICs. Then, as the CPUs became better and better uh, and performance increased, it became possible to do encoding and even real-time live encoding of video on the CPU fully in software, obviously enhanced by the um, instruction set that uh, supports and accelerates uh, video encoding. And then, as the uh, load became comes higher and higher and we're going into 4K and 8K and virtual reality, then again, the pendulum might swing in the direction of uh, 
more hardware-based platforms, and there's a vast array of them from GPUs to FPGAs to full dedicated uh, ASICs. So Nagesh, uh, I would be very interested uh, to get your view on this uh, market for uh, video processing and where do you see the trend currently now being uh, for the uh, uh, video encoding applications being implemented in uh, software running on a CPU versus solutions such as GPU, FPGA, and even dedicated uh, hardware? Yeah, you know, this is uh, my favorite topic. This is the kind of question I get every day from my customers. You know, hey, do I implement this solution in the software? Do I implement this solution in the hardware? And, you know, and or do we implement this in the cloud or not in the cloud, right? So, so I, I think optimal delivery of video is not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? There are multiple factors, and especially there are four key factors that need to be considered to pick the right solution. It depends on the video quality. It depends on the bit rate, you know, what you need to deliver for. It depends on the density of transcoding that you need to do, and eventually, of course, the total cost of ownership. So... So there's a no single design point, right? So if you are a subscription-based video service, video on demand service, video quality and bit rate are extremely important. So if you have 100 million subscribers and if you have 100,000 titles, the transcoding, the cost of transcoding that 100,000 titles is probably not as critical as delivering that content to 100 million subscribers because, you know, Every percent of bitrate you can save will basically go to your bottom line in the operational cost. So in that case, a software-based solution is more critical because you can get the most out of the video quality with the best possible bit quote, you know, bitrate. So I think for a video on demand kind of applications, then software-based solution is probably a better option because the video quality and bitrate are most important for them. Even for the communications service providers like cable MSOs and IPTV service providers, I would say software-based solution on a it's on a standard you know, general-purpose CPU makes most sense. For example, in linear broadcast, you only have a few hundreds of channels to encode, but millions of paid subscribers watching that content. So if you look at even the world's biggest cable service providers, they're only carrying like 10,000 to 15,000 channels. And most cable episodes and KBT IPTV providers actually carry less than, you know, 1,000, 2,000 channels. So for live and linear broadcasts, I would say software-based solution is most optimal because especially because they are, they have paid subscribers and they need to deliver the quality and they have control networks. You know, for example, they need to optimize the bit rate. If Cox is delivering, you know, video content to your home, you know, they have, you know, certain capacity. If they can squeeze as much content as possible in the lowest bandwidth, they can free up other part of the bandwidth towards the internet connectivity and things like that. So I think it's for them, a software-based solution is probably more important or the flexibility of a software-based solution is more important for them. Right. So there's a flexibility both, uh, but the flexibility when using a software-based solution is both flexibility for video encoding itself in software you can make changes you can adjust for quality you can implement things like content adaptive uh, right, encoding right. and it's very flexible but also the flexibility 
also the flexibility of the platform, because once you have general purpose CPU, you can repurpose that uh, um, hardware between different applications. So one day you get, you get a load of uh, a lot of episodes and seasons and series that you need to encode. And then you have like quiet for two weeks so you can use that CPU for other applications. Exactly. That's right. So like NFV functionality. Communication service providers, especially, are trying to compete with the cloud service providers, and they need to improve the usage rate for their infrastructure. In the past, they would buy a big honking system, and that thing is doing only one thing. And if you're not utilizing that for that purpose, it's basically sitting there doing nothing, right? And in this generation, when they are rolling out new services, you're trying out new things, a software-based solution with the standard servers gives you a lot of flexibility in the terms of, okay, you know, let's say, let's try out this new service. If it doesn't you know, take off, I can repurpose this for something else, right? And But I think there are cases then when you need a hardware-based solution, this is where you have have a huge amount of transcoding that you need to do. For example, a user-generated live streaming where you have hundreds and you know thousands of users broadcasting simultaneously. So I would say, you know, a greater than 100,000 live transcode simultaneously, then hardware acceleration makes sense. In that case, I think it would make sense to have a dedicated transcode accelerators in those tents. But there's not many vendors in the world, I would say, who would need that level of capacity. But Again, it all comes down to, at the end of the day, the total cost of ownership, you know, which goes beyond the factors mentioned before. So someone has a CPUs in their data center that they can use and repurpose that for transcoding. For them, buying hardware accelerators may not make sense because, you know, they could use those spare CPU cycles without even actually buying new infrastructure, right? But if you don't have anything and you're starting from scratch and you know that you're going to do 100,000 transcodes and maybe, you know, you dedicated, you you know, that we have, you're always going to have at least 10,000, 20,000. So maybe you put in the 10,000, you know, hardware acceleration capacity for 10,000 transcodes and the remaining one, you keep it on the CPUs, right? So I think there is, customers have to look on a case-by-case basis, but unless you have a high amount of transcoding, it does not make sense to do the hardware acceleration. But again, as I said before, there's no single design point, right? I think you have to look at these factors. What is the video call you need to deliver? What is the bit rate? You know, where you get the savings? And what is your transcoding density and eventually your total cost of ownership? It's very interesting. You know, I'm curious, Nagesh, AI is becoming obviously a hot buzzword, but it's also becoming, there's some very real technical capability that's being designed into encoding operations and video processing workflows. Um, You know, even we utilize, you know, a process in our perceptual optimization, our content adaptive solution, which, you know, is is really AI, machine learning at, at the core. But how does this discussion relate? And I know, and I'm asking this question because Intel, of course, has invested very heavily in AI. So how does the sort of equation change if, if someone has a need for some specific AI? Is that only available, you know, on CPU? Does that necessitate going to some different platform? Yeah, you know, AI is a is a very broad term, right? And AI has been in existence for decades now, and uh, classical machine learning, you know, involved things like decision trees and logistic regression, right? But I think what's new about AI now that's really exciting about is the deep learning, which is based on neural networks, right? So the advancements in computing and availability of data across the world has made it possible to train large neural networks now. 
So I think the deep learning is going to change the way we create, distribute, and consume video content. At Intel, we call AI on video content as media analytics. So if you say, you know, hear me say media analytics, what I really mean is AI on video content, right? And, and audio content as well, because it's media. So I think we have, uh, we categorize media analytics use cases into four major domains. So smart city, like, you know, uh, video surveillance kind of applications, all, you know, there's a, you know, how to find a parking spot and things like that. You know, those are all kind of smart city kind of applications. There's offline media analytics applications. So things like, you know, you take the video assets and do the face detections and do the tagging. Those are the kind of the offline media analytics. There's a live streaming application. So you're streaming something live and then you're basically trying to find something offensive during the live streaming and then, you know, try to block that. Or there's a lot of other things that you can do, like ad insertions and stuff like that, right? And then immersive media, which are the uh, augmented reality, virtual reality kind of applications where you can do the, the tracking of a ball, for example, let's say, and then give, you know, do some interesting things with that for immersive applications. So the list of use cases under these domains is so big, you know, we can spend hours talking about those use cases. You know, we have tried to document these things, right? And just under security and surveillance, you can go to like 100 different use cases, you know, fire detection, this detection, that detection, right? So I, I will just give a few examples where we at Intel CAI is being used. I think one of the use cases that you mentioned, of course, is the video encoding use cases, right? And um, this one is creating... Now, in this case, you know, we're basically using AI to improve the video encoding efficiency, right? So I think the things that you guys are doing, uh, but they're also creating automatic subtitles in uh, multiple languages. And I've talked to, you know, people in the in the Hollywood and Bollywood and people would like to, you know, take existing video assets and be able to create, you know, subtitles so they can monetize those assets they have in multiple languages, Creating video summary, for example, taking video assets, let's say a certain actor, you know, and you find, try to find the, you know, existing assets and say, they find me all the, all the places or all the videos where you have the certain actor is smiling or laughing or crying, right? And then you create a summary of those, all those things. So you can do a lot of different aspects of that. Compliance monitoring, for example, just making sure that anything that, you know, gets uploaded to a, to a website before it gets published, you look at actually Complies. There is nothing offensive. There is nothing adult content and things like that. And then before you publish that, publish that. Ad insertion is other one. Advanced recommender systems. There's lots of application. And there's so much video assets around the world. This is like a gold mine waiting to be explored with AI, right? And and there's a lot more other applications that we can talk about AI. And so what Intel is doing, and you know, and as we were talking about the software versus hardware application, hardware hardware implementations of different things, right? We're doing we offer a range of options for our customers, so people can do a software-based implementation for video analytics, or they can do hardware-based implementations. We try to categorize our products into three categories, right? We have general-purpose CPUs. They have general purpose accelerators and a workload specific accelerators. And then we provide the software that scales across these three lines of products. So customers can pick and choose and say, you know, hey, I wouldn't want to implement this application today on a CPU where I don't know what my demand is. And then over time, as and they said, you know, hey, I need to go accelerate this now and then offload to the general purpose accelerators like FPGAs or GPUs. Or they can say, you know, hey, you know, I have my 
my capacity is so high right now. I got to have an accelerator, a workload optimized accelerator. But now you get a higher density, but you're less flexibility, but you can now offload that onto a very workload specific optimized accelerators. So we provide that software flexibility because the use cases are so vast. People are still exploring this. I think it's, you know, starting off with a, a CPU software based solution makes more sense. And we're actually adding new capability into our next generation Xeon platform. It's called VNNI. And that is discussed actually uh, publicly in the, the last time we did the data center investor meeting. Uh, we talked about this new feature that's coming out in our next generation Xeon platform called Cascade Lake. So this would be um, a, a instruction set that is uh, specifically specific for uh, accelerating uh, deep learning operations? It's a specific instruction set that's been added into our Cascade Lake platform. It's called BNNI. I see. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, obviously we've we've heard about it, and I, I think it's a very um, exciting uh, development because I think it's may, maybe the first time that uh, something that is specific to to AI in terms of the instruction set is is being implemented directly into the uh, Intel CPUs for accelerating those uh, software workloads. I, I think that what you mentioned earlier about when we had the discussion of software versus hardware for video encoding. You, you actually identified a particular application for uh, hardware video encoding, which would be user-generated content uh, if you have hundreds of thousands of, of, of streams. And that was a, a very distinct uh, segmentation. But when, when we talk about AI, my understanding is that there is no single application that is more suitable for hardware than software. It really depends on your specific workload. And these workload these workloads can change. It depends on uh, what type of video you're processing, whether it's live streams from cameras or a huge database and, and how long you need, right? If, if I need to identify a face in a huge database, right, in, in two days, you know, I, I probably need a lot of, uh, of, uh, of uh, power, of compute power. So actually for AI, there is no uh, specific distinction between application type. It really depends on your load and your specific use case. Yeah, I think, you know, when I said user-generated content previously, I think I was really trying to say the live streaming kind of content where you're doing simultaneous transcodes, right? If it's a user-generated content, like a VOD, like a YouTube-like content, you can, you know, you can do that, you know, encoding offline and you can do that, you know, you know, with the spare CPU cycles that you have available because there's no sense of urgency in the terms of, you know, got to do this right away, right? So same thing applies for the, you know, AI, where is you're, if you're simultaneously doing, you know, hundreds and thousands of transcodes and analytics and, you know, frames, then you may want to accelerate it. But things in, thing is that, you know, people don't know which application is going to take off today, right? And you don't want to lock yourself and say, you know, here's the uh, specific, uh, you know, specific algorithm that I'm going to use, or here's a specific neural network model I'm going to use for this use case. And then you get stuck with that, right? You want to have that flexibility in the terms of, you know, maybe it's a fire detection application that takes off or a parking spot identification takes off or a face detection or a face recognition application takes off, right? So you don't know that. I think there's a, people are still experimenting with those things, except, you know, a few cloud service providers, the big guys who have very specific use cases and they're deploying, you know, accelerators because they know exactly what those use cases are, right? But a lot of other customers, they don't know exactly, you know, what those use cases are, what's going to take off. I'm wondering, and, and this this could be your your personal opinion, not necessarily the the, the official uh, Intel position. 
Do you see this uh, segment of uh, AI, which, which you call media analytics, growing to be much larger than uh, the current uh, video encoding? So there will be many more processors or chips or whatever in, in the cloud uh, doing uh, video analytics than there will be units doing uh, video encoding? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I won't say it's a bigger than a video encoding or not. I, I can't compare that because it's two different markets. But I see that in the future, every video stream will have some kind of AI running on it. Right. So whether it's a during the video encoding process, but it's a workflow thing, right? I think maybe there could be AI that starts off at the encoding stage to when it's transmitted. You know, there's some AI happening in the some point, whether to do the face recognition or object recognition, object detection, or just fire, you know, I think, or, you know, monetizing in some other way. But I believe that in the future, in the next few years, every video stream will have some portion of deep learning running on it or AI running on it, right? Because there's just so much to monetize on the video. And we are seeing more and more customers. And every time I talk to different people, you know, everyone is coming with new ideas, right? I think, you know, those ideas are still yet to be implemented. And that's why I say, you know, with AI, the video is a gold mine. It's just waiting to be explored. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying actually is in, in the future, every video will be watched, not necessarily by a human, but it will be watched. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, it will be watched by a machine. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it will be watched by the, by the machine and they will try to monetize it. <laughs> That's a good way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. It's That's such a fertile area for innovation. I think I think you're absolutely correct, Nagesh. You know, I think that's a great way to think about it. Every video stream is going to have AI analytics, machine learning, whatever running on it. In some cases, you know, to just reduce bit rate and retain quality. So a part of the the you know, the encoding process and in others, you know, like you say, I mean, especially security applications, there's you know, just going to be an amazing array of, of really valuable features, you know, that can be implemented. So, yeah, it's incredible. Right. And, and you talked about monetization as, 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 as a use case, but basically what the companies would want to do with those videos is, in, in a more general term, extract information. That's right. Because today, yeah. right, all, all of the big companies, the cloud, the social network, they are dealing with information about their users, all type of information from their uh, news feeds, from uh, activities they do online, anything they click. But now having access to this huge repository of user-generated and commercial video content, more and more information will be mined from that. And obviously that has value. And that's why uh, you talk about monetization uh, coming from uh, analyzing the video streams. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's just so much personalization that you can do based on what people are watching, what people are seeing, right? And also from a security perspective, being able to look at the streams and say, you know, there's no other, you know, offensive content that's going, you know, happening, or there's no illegal stuff that's happening on that. From a security purpose, there's things that like that that you can do. And from a monetization perspective, you know, if you can see, you know, what a person is watching and, you know, you can see what kind of video content is being displayed now. So maybe you can put a right advertisement, you know, that's relevant to that user, right? Uh, so I think there's a, things like that. And, and I see this video assets, right? You know, there's a hundreds years, hundred years of worth of, you know, video assets are sitting out there that 
people have not monetized. You know, I start to see, you know, my kids, you know, sending me memes, you know, within the terms of, you know, from a office or somewhere, you know, is like Seinfeld, you know, Kramer is laughing or this and that kind of stuff, right? It's like, those are the ones that you can automate that with AI, right? We can do extract information from the video assets that are sitting out there and, f- and figure out how to monetize it. You know, once you figure out how to pull those things, there will be people who will innovate on top of that and figure out how to use those things because video is connects with you automatically, right? Better than, better than, you know, pictures and better than audio, you know, I think, you know, video connects with people directly. That's right. So Nagesh, this I think leads into another question about just where video workflow architectures are are headed. Do you have any you know any thoughts, observations uh, on that question? Well, I, I think you know that there's a reason our uh, division is actually named Visual Cloud Division, and that basically what a Visual Cloud means is that video is being created remotely somewhere in the cloud and consumed remotely. I believe that the more and more video is going to be created and delivered from the cloud in the future. I think in the past, you know, video used to be created, for example, in someone's workstation, you know, sitting in their offices and now, I think those things are moving into the cloud. We already see that from the big cloud service providers. They provide the whole workflow to create your video in the cloud. And then you can basically deliver the whole thing from the cloud itself. So I think video workflow architectures in the futures need to take that into account and make sure they are designing for for native cloud solutions as well as the hybrid cloud because, you know, the transition will happen over time. And during that time, anyone who's creating video workflows will have to be aware of that, that, you know, there's maybe some portion that created in on-premise and then some portion that gets created in the cloud and distributed from the cloud. But I think in the future, I think future is going to be where everything gets uh, created and delivered from the cloud. So this will influence how video products are designed and developed in the future. Everything you know has to be a cloud native. Uh, for example, you know making sure that there's a support for containers and virtual machines, right? So that you know so also being able to be able to manage and orchestrate it remotely. So those kind of features have to be built in the product. This is the few things that we are developing into our own products and just making sure that they're all compliant to the native cloud. You can you know they can be deployed in the containers. They can be managed and orchestrated remotely. So there's things like that to be a cloud native that everyone has to do in the future for to fit into the video workflow architectures. Absolutely. We we definitely, definitely see that. So what does this mean for 8K? You know, CES was just, um, uh, you know, a few weeks ago and it seemed like 8K was everywhere. But uh, yeah. what are you? <laughs> what, what, you, you know, the, the vendors always want to, to push in. You push it to buy new things right, right now. That's right. 4K is everywhere. Most of the TVs sold today are already 4K. You know, if you're buying 55 inch or higher, but there's hardly any 4K content or 4K channels being broadcast, right? And but you know the TVs are already there, and at CS you need to show something new, so you show 8K, 8K. But then the consumer is saying, is there any content in 8K? And and for us the vendors, you know, we are wondering what is the right time. To move to 8K, we don't want to develop something that nobody will use for three years, right? So, yeah, this is this is a this is a tough one, Mark, right? I think because there are a lot of dependencies to make 8K happen, at least in the mainstream, right? You know, you know, as you guys just said, 4K is going mainstream just now, 
right? At least for the OTT content. With the new smartphones enabled with 4K cameras and 5G now getting finally, you know, uh, 5G getting rolled out, I do expect 4K to be broadly adopted by 2020. I think the first we will see probably 8K in a little broader sense would be at the Tokyo Olympics. But I think we are a few years away from 8K going mainstream. I think the, the first and most, I think, is the, having a cost-effective network bandwidth is really critical for the 8K. I think, you know, even today, you know, you've, you know, we have all been in discussions with multiple service providers, and you will hear that concerns about the 4K, right? Because they need an efficient codec to deliver 4K content. Will AV1, will HEVC enable them to deliver a cost-effectively 8K content, right? I think, I think that question still needs to be uh, answered. Or do we need a new encoding algorithms, right? You know, with more encoding efficiency to deliver the five, you know, to deliver the eight K content. So I think five G deployments in AV one might be that tipping point, but AV one is at least a year or two years away from going mainstream. Five G in US and rest of the world is probably a year or two years away from going mainstream. I think, but you'll start to see 2020, 2020 Olympics probably the first set of 8k content but i think going mainstream i think it's a few years away in my opinion seems yeah I, yeah I, I i think we're all sort of in agreement there yeah well certainly a cloud uh video architecture is absolutely going to be required just because of the, the the speed and the number of bits that are that are being moved around and the you know the need to be able to configure uh, a video workflow uh, there's there's no doubt that there's going to be some differences in how an 8k stream is prepared compared to you know a 4k stream or or our more traditional abr profiles today so yeah well, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I think maybe, uh, and we've sort of touched on this, but, you know, it's probably good to wrap up. We, uh, I know that, um, you know, video is, of course, consuming. I mean, everybody sees the uh, Cisco, uh, you know, visual networking index uh, studies, you know, and uh, all the stats of Netflix, you know, during peak viewing time consuming, you know, I think upwards of 15% or maybe even a little bit higher of all internet traffic, you know, during peak times. So it's no secret video is a thing. <laughs> and there's, of course, a lot of focus on kind of premium, you know, licensed, you know, Hollywood movies, again, sort of the, you know, the Netflix, the Hulu, the Voodoo, the Amazon Prime. And yet there's this uh, whole segment of if we just look at like social networks, so Facebook, Facebook Live, uh, you know, YouTube Live, and just all this user generated content that's out there. So, uh, you know, it represents an absolutely massive opportunity that, you know, for those of us selling into video services is, is, is probably quite a bit larger even than, than the premium side. So, you know, curious, I, I think this is a good place to, uh, to wrap up our discussion. Can you comment, you know, of what you're seeing of any, um, you know, special, anything that uh, the social networks are doing, you know, to embrace this tsunami of content? Are they, are they reimagining their video workflows? You know, is there some new innovations that they're looking at uh, or are they basically, you know, sort of taking the traditional tools and software and, and, and just trying to do it more cost effectively, you know? So what are, what are you seeing out there in terms of user generated content, how people are, are addressing this? 
Well, I think I'll, I'll take it uh, beyond just a user-generated content and social networking content because I think there's a video explosion going on everywhere and there's a lot of video applications that are moving into the cloud, you know, and the new applications like cloud gaming, for example, like immersive media, AR, VR content that's moving into the cloud. So I think there's more and more stuff moving into the cloud, but how do we kind of cost effectively deliver that and deliver with an experience that was, you know, looks more native to the end user? Right. And so I think one of the things that is keeping that is happening to deliver this tsunami of video that, that we talked about is the moving to the edge. Right. We do see several service providers that are who are coming up with a video cloud service, which is actually optimally designed for video delivery. And they're delivering those services from the edge of the network. So CDN, for example, providers traditionally have those assets at the edge. Comms or uh, comms service providers like you know Comcast of the world and AT and T's of the world, they have uh, central office locations all around the country and you know around the world, and that they can now leverage those assets to deliver these video services from the edge, right? And with the five G going live this year, we see that you know we can move more and more high intensive and high latency sensitive applications now moving into the cloud. For example, cloud gaming, where you have very interactive game kind of stuff, right? You know, that is moving to the cloud, but now you can deliver that gaming experience from the cloud without having any latency, right? So those are the things that I see, especially I think moving towards the edge. So I think, you know, I think that is the key trend that I see over the next few years that will change how the video is delivered is move to the edge. Interesting. So it's sort of a decentralization of where you had video encoding operations that were kind of in in one physical location. I mean, I understand, you know, with a virtualized network, it's not, but, you know, you, still you would have kind of a, a place where all the video encoding happened. And what you're seeing and what you're saying is, is now um, that's getting pushed a lot closer to the user. So where those bits are being encoded or packaged or, you know, whatever that, that key process is. Yeah, that's interesting. We certainly, you know, and I know that we have been out with Intel, even evangelizing that approach because there's just a lot of benefits uh, to doing that. So that's an excellent yeah. observation. Well, Nagesh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we certainly look forward to having future conversations with you as you know, maybe we'll need to do one specific around Cascade Lake. What do you think, Dror? I think that would be interesting. Yeah, think, oh, that, 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 that's that's great. I think because there are some capabilities there that are that are very unique and specific uh, to, to video that's that, right. that we know that we plan to utilize. So, discussing that, I think, would be great. And I guess I also want to thank you for being on our show. I've learned a lot, especially in the area of um, AI and uh, media analytics. And I think this insight that every video will be watched by a machine, it's really something incredible. But well, what, what, what struck me that if you connect this to the some of the other things you said that machines are also generating videos, right? Like video summaries automatically. And also in uh, in computer gaming, the server is generating actually the video of that game. So this is, it reminds me of, of a funny story, a very old one that used to go around in the 70s where one guy tells his friend, you know, I heard that there's a 
a computer now that can play chess and, and you can buy it for your home. It's kind of a chessboard that, that shows you the moves and then you can play against a computer. So the other guy tells him, yeah, you know what? That seems like a great idea. I think I'll buy two of those and I'll set them to play one against each other and then it can go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> now you're asking yourself, what is the connection? So I'm thinking... If- If one computer generates the video automatically uh-huh. and another machine is watching, watching the video, yeah. and us humans can do something more productive. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and they and, can and, just and, give us a summary, right? <laughs> and, and somebody's going to be paid for ad revenue. <laughs> There's going to be ad revenue in there. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, right. That, ad revenue is... Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, amazing. That's All right. Well, excellent. Well, well, thank, well, you. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you, Mark. Th- and thanks Drew again, for- Nagat. No, I appreciate the opportunity for having me here. Uh, thank you for thank you for the opportunity. It was a great discussion. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you to all the listeners. Again, if you are interested in coming on The Video Insiders, just send us an email at thevideoinsiders at Beamer, that's B-E-A-M-R dot com, and we'd be happy to speak with you. Have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H.264 transcoding every month.